So 20% of people identify themselves as chronic procrastinators. And I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. For them or for us, procrastination has become a way of life. In the Feeling Good Handbook, psychiatrist D.D. Burns lists 10 reasons people procrastinate. And I want to share those with you. So reason number one is a lack of motivation. Procrastinators assume that motivation precedes action. But if a certain task is boring or not very pleasant and we wait until we feel motivated or in the mood to do it, we may never get around to doing it. Number two, the idea that success should be relatively painless and easy. If we think that meeting our goals should come to us pretty easily, if we have a low tolerance for frustration and struggle and things that take a great deal of time, then we're more likely to give up without ever completing the task in front of us. Number three, fear of failure. Procrastination can be a way of protecting ourselves from failure. It at least can give us an excuse for failure. Like, if I had had more time, I would have done better, or I just didn't try hard enough. Number four, perfectionism. The pressure to do a task perfectly may be so stressful that we put off doing it altogether. Five, lack of reward. Those who procrastinate tend not to take credit for what they do. They are more likely to put themselves down. And a reward is great motivation for getting something done. Number six, should statements. Seeing tasks in terms of obligation leads us to categorize things into those things we should do and those things we want to do. By nature, we are drawn to do those things we want to do. Number seven, passive aggressiveness. Instead of expressing our negative feelings openly and honestly, sometimes we express them through procrastination. For example, if I feel my boss should ask Lena to do a report rather than me, instead of saying that directly to my boss, I may show my displeasure by turning the report in late. Number eight, unassertiveness. This results in the inability to say no to things we don't really want to do or that we don't have time to do, and so we end up overcommitting ourselves. Nine, rebellion. This is very much along the lines of using procrastination as a means of being passive-aggressive. This is when we feel someone is placing demands that are too great on our shoulders. We rebel against those demands by procrastinating. And number 10, the lack of desire. Let's face it, that some things we simply do not like doing. And so we don't want to do them, and we don't. Filing our taxes, cleaning the bathrooms, or even exercising may come under this category. But procrastination is not as simple or innocuous as we like to think. Because not acting is an action. Not making a choice is a choice. Not making a commitment is a commitment. See, we inevitably give ourselves away to one thing or another. That's just part of interacting with the world around us. The question is whether we commit ourselves intentionally or by default. 
The issue is whether we are proactive in choosing to what it is that we give ourselves or whether that happens passively. And I think this is what Paul is driving at in today's reading from Romans. According to Paul, there isn't a neutral zone in which we can avoid committing our life in one direction or the other. We are slaves to sin, according to Paul, or we are slaves to righteousness. We are either instruments of sin or instruments of righteousness. Now, to be honest, this isn't exactly good news. This isn't the gospel. To say only that we have to choose to live a righteous life isn't exactly freeing in and of itself. And Paul knows this. In the very next chapter of Romans, he writes, I do not understand my actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. I can will what is right, but I cannot do it. This is the problem with many well-meaning Christians today, as well as many well-meaning Pharisees in the day of Jesus and Paul. They, or we, too easily make religion about following a certain set of rules some of which are very well-intentioned and some of which are grounded very much in truth and righteousness. For example, not harvesting the edges of the field in biblical days so that the poor and the alien could have something to eat. Or maybe in our day, driving a hybrid car for many of us who worry about the environment. But the truth is that any time we make loving God into merely following a set of rules, Religion becomes anything but good news. Presbyterian pastor Alan Bram writes, Whenever we make the essence of spirituality and holiness a matter of following religious rules, it seems to me that we have missed the mark. Rigid religious rules always become obstacles to loving other people. It seems to me that means they are obstacles to truly loving God. Jesus called them burdens too heavy to lift and points the finger at religious perfectionists of all stripes for ignoring their own sins and focusing on the minor lapses of others. It all becomes just an elaborate way of justifying myself by condemning someone else. But at the end of the day, even we religious perfectionists can't bear the burden we've created for others. Religious rules in and of themselves are not good news. Saying we should intentionally choose the righteous life because not to do so would be to choose a life of sin is not good news. Instead, the good news, the gospel, is that a life lived in Christ's love transforms us. It frees us up so that we can, in fact, choose righteousness and do those things that share God's love with the world. And that's what Paul is telling the Christians of Rome in this letter. As Paul says a few verses before today's reading, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore we have been buried with him by baptism into death, so that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. Through our baptism we are joined with Christ and he is at work in us transforming us, making us new, enabling us to choose those things that bring life and love to the world. 
And this is where I want to link back to some of the reasons I mentioned in the beginning of this sermon. Reasons that we often use to put off doing certain things that we know we should do. And I want to link back to them because I believe our identity as Christians speaks to some of those very reasons. Number one, fear of failure. See, as children of God, we know that our worth is tied to the fact that we are infinitely loved by God. It's not tied to our accomplishments. We don't have to fear failure. As Mother Teresa once said, God does not require that we be successful, only that we be faithful. Number two, perfectionism. Since it is Christ at work in and through and with us, we don't have to worry that we don't have what it takes to bring reconciliation and healing to a hurting world. We are not left to our own resources to do that which we are called to do. Number three, the idea that success should be relatively easy and painless. Following a crucified Messiah reminds us that the very things in life that are most life-giving are not always those things that are the safest, are the easiest, are deemed the most successful by the world around us. Number four, rebellion because we think the demands placed on us are unfair and too great. When we as Christians feel that the weight of the pain of the world is too great for us to bear and the demands of the world cause our knees to buckle, we remember the words of Jesus who never leaves us to bear our burdens alone. Come to me, all you that are weary and carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Christ at work in us is what enables us to choose lives of righteousness and then to act on that choice. Christ at work in us through our baptism allows us to live lives that bring love, healing, and life into the world. Christ at work in us may come in the form of respecting certain guidelines, but such rules are always a means and never an end in and of themselves. And this is the good news. I'm not naive enough to think that procrastination will never be a part of our human lives. And it certainly will stay a part of mine. But the call to a Christian life is so very different from the way we think about the many obligations and demands that are placed on us by society. The call to a Christian life is a call to participate with Christ in his work. And as such, it is an invitation to freedom, to grace, and to eternal life, not just in some future, but in the here and now. And that's why the words at the end of our worship service, go in peace to love and serve the Lord, those words come to us not as a command, but as pure gift.